0: You know, it costs to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For some, the cost is much higher than for others. Uh, Many, many have gone before us and they have laid down their lives for the gospel. I often ask myself, uh, what would I do? What would you do if called upon to pay the ultimate price for uh, our faith? Uh, Nick Ripken in his uh, excellent books, The Insanity of God and The Insanity of, o- of Obedience, he chronicles uh, the lives of modern-day martyrs, those scattered throughout the globe who've been called upon, and God has given them the commensurate grace to do it, and that is to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. There is coming a day where there will be an unprecedented time of persecution for those who name the name of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation it talks about this great tribulation, a time of travail, a time of martyrdom where many will be executed, their lives will be taken because they named the name of Christ. Now in my theology, in my eschatology, I sure hope I'm right. I hope that Jesus comes and takes and raptures the church that is present day, that is here, takes us away, and then this world enters into this time of great tribulation. But here's an amazing thing about this, that even during those seven catastrophic, horrific years on planet Earth, God will still be working, and God will save not just a few, but as I understand the Bible, there will be an unprecedented amount of people who will come into the kingdom, who will be Followers of Jesus Christ, and also many of them will lose their lives. You know, it's not hard for us to envision such a day. I mean, it really does not take a lot of mental acumen. It does not take much uh, mental bandwidth to anticipate that exactly what God says in His Word is going to happen because there, there is no animosity like the animosity targeted toward followers of Jesus Christ. You never hear the name of Jesus and jihad, and you never hear the name of, of Jesus and radical going to kill and execute. But those of us who know Christ, it seems like that the world turns against those of us who know Him because the world is against us. You know, the Bible says, and Jesus makes it very clear He says, Why are you so surprised by that? <laughs> He says, you know, if they treated me that way, then how are they going to treat you? Now, I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this in America because, I mean, the worst persecution we're going to get, probably, at least today, is somebody's going to give us a jaundiced look. They're going to kind of look at us like we're kind of strange, and that's about it. But I'm telling you guys, there's coming a day that when you name the name of Christ, and some of you, you you may still be here when Jesus comes. You may be left behind there's coming a day. If you, if you know the Lord then, that, that it's probably going to cost you uh, your life. So let's, re- let's read Revelation chapter 6. Uh, last week we looked at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we looked at that there was a white horse that represented the Antichrist who will issue or usher in a time of unprecedented peace. Isn't our world hungry for such a charismatic, influential leader who will rise up and who will promise peace for the world. Secondly, John sees a red horse, a fiery red horse that rides in that represents war. Also, we noticed last time a black horse that represents death. And then finally, this pale green horse that represents a great, a great difficulty where many are going to perish as a result of the famine and the wars and so forth. So today, John doesn't see a horse. And in fact, he doesn't see any animal, but he sees a group of people, and and he says they are souls who have lost their lives on planet Earth for the cause of the gospel. And so I want us to look at who these souls are. Who are these people under the altar and what is going on in their lives for such a time? So let's read together. The text is Revelation chapter 6, and I'll begin in verse 9. Okay, white horse, Antichrist. You got the red horse of war. The black horse is famine, by the way. And then the green horse is death and Hades. He said, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. For the word of God and for the testimony, now stop right there for just a minute. Understand, this is a time of unprecedented persecution. This has not happened yet. I believe it is still in the future. Now, if you disagree with me, that's quite all right. If you think that this has happened, then that, that is your place. That is your position. You look at it as more past tense. I look at it as more future tense. And they are going to be slain because of, notice this, the logos of God and the martyrian. Do you know what that word martyrian, it means to be martyred. It means to lose your life for a special cause. They're going to be slain for the Word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now that's an important word. That is an imperfect tense verb in the Greek New Testament. Whenever the the Bible uses an imperfect tense, it means continuous action in the past. In other words, these people are going to lay down their lives because of a testimony, a faith, a faith and a commitment in Jesus Christ that they will not relinquish. They will not give it up, and because they will not, it will cost them their lives. And they cried with a loud voice, and they said, How long, O Lord, holy and true? How long until you judge... And avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth." And then a white robe was given to each of them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing this? John the revelator, John the writer of the book of the apocalypse, John the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ, John exiled on the island of Patmos, John who will eventually be boiled in oil, they'll try to kill him but they can't, John who eventually will die about 95, 96 years of age, before all that happens, he sees this vision. He sees what I believe is the future of the world, which will be a time of unprecedented, amazing salvation coupled with unprecedented horror of martyrdom. Each one of these martyrs is given a white robe, a robe of purity, a robe of faithfulness, steadfastness. They were given a white robe, each one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. The word little is micron, and the word while is the word chronon. A little micron, which is where we get the prefix for words like microbiology and so forth, and I love that word chronon. Do you, do you think of any English word we could get out of that? Somebody help me. Chronology, exactly. A lot of our words, by the way, in English today are simply extrapolated or transliterated is the actual word from that language into our language. And so it says, for a little while you should hold on and rest until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, now watch this, they're going to be killed as they were until that number has been completed. Today's message, as you preach through the book of Revelation, you come upon sermons like this, and they are intense. And um, as I've been thinking and praying and fasting this week and seeking the Lord and trying to to phrase this message in such a way that it won't scare the ibby jeebies out of you. You know what I'm saying? It just won't have you petrified. Because here's the deal, guys. If you are in Christ Jesus, you really don't have anything to worry about. If you're not in Christ Jesus... You've got everything to worry about. But for those of you that don't know the Lord, what a great time it is to put your faith in Christ, to be born of His Spirit, so that you will be ready to meet whatever may come. If I'm wrong, let's say I'm wrong. won't be the first time. Amen. Ashley, don't say amen too loud over my wife, my dear wife. If I am wrong, and we all go through the great tribulation. Let's say the rapture comes after the end and there really is no rapture. There is just a second coming of Jesus Christ. That is a historic premillennial view. It's a view that I used to hold and it's a view I'm tempted to hold at times and yet I'm still in this camp of the premillennial, pre-trib, dispensation, so forth. Amen. I hope. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say I become one of those. Let's say you and I, as followers of Christ, we have an opportunity to lay down our lives for the gospel. You know, I often think about that, and I think about God give me the strength, the wherewithal. I'm going to share something with you in a moment. I think is going to greatly encourage you. I know this is not a far-fetched sermon because we live in a day and an age when you just believe differently than another person believes. They feel it is their divine right by God to kill you, to execute you. And so this is not far-fetched at all, but aren't you glad to be a part of a religion? Aren't you glad to be part of a movement that is not a proponent of death, but it is a proponent of life? Aren't you glad to be a follower of Jesus Christ and no other, none other? So number one, I want to begin with a word of revelation. If you're taking notes, write the word revelation right there in your blank. Because John has a revelation. It says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, he sees the fifth seal being broken. Now remember, it is Christ who is opening this, this scroll, this book. He's breaking these seals. We've already seen the first four seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and now we see these Christian martyrs. Who are they? Some believe that they, it represents the martyrs of the faith from all time, and, and, and that's, a, that's a possibility. Others like myself see it as no. It represents those who will become followers of Christ during this epoch, during this milieu or time frame, era of time known as the Great Tribulation, where if you know Christ, then man, it, it can cost you dearly. You know, it's interesting where it says that he sees them in, in verse 9 I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. And by the words, by the way, slain is spazzo. And it's the same word used to describe the gruesome death of Jesus in Revelation, where it says that he was spatso. He was slain, butchered, maimed, killed, if you will, martyred. It's the same word. Leviticus 4 7 helps us understand what's going on here. The Bible says in Leviticus 4 7 that the blood of the sacrificial offering was to be poured out at the base of the altar. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a wonderful pastor and theologian of another generation. He says these words, and this is very helpful. He says, We are not to think that John had a vision of an altar with little souls peeping out from underneath. I'm sorry, I get tickled whenever I read that because it's so true. The whole teaching of the Old Testament is that the altar was the place of sacrifice and blood. To be under the altar, let me say that again, the text says, to be under the altar, it means to be covered in the sight of God by that merit which Jesus Christ provided in dying on the cross. In other words, it's a figure of justification. These martyred witnesses are covered by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, end of quote. In other words, the Old Testament saying an altar, think blood. And when you come to the New Testament, you see these souls under the altar in somehow, some way. We are to interpret this, that they have shed their blood, and they are martyrs, and they have been redeemed by the blood of another. Jesus Christ has redeemed them, saved them, they have shed their blood, and, and they have died, they have been persecuted, they have been martyred, and as a result, they go to heaven. And they are there in heaven, and John sees them, these souls underneath the, the altar. Notice that it says that they are there because of, in verse 9, because of the Word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now, some translations take the, the word and, the conjunction and, and by the way, that's the Greek word Kai K-A-I, and they translate it this way, even. For the Word of God, the logos of God, even their testimony. And that's That's an interesting translation, and I've grappled with that this week. And by the way, I've been grappling, wrestling a lot all week, and I'm just coming, I know I'm feeding you this, you're drinking water out of a fire hydrant, amen. I know there's just a lot of data and a a lot of information. And by the way, if you're a guest here at Great Hills, we're we're glad that you're here, we welcome you. Great Hills Baptist Church is is an explanation, expository preaching kind of church. And, And what I mean by that is, when you come to this sacred hour, you get some illustration, you get some, maybe even more application, but you get a whole lot of explanation. In other words, you get a whole lot of Bible. When you come to Great Hills, this preacher loves the Bible. And and I love to mm, love to study the Word of God. And so when when you come, our church is not for everybody, I get that. But it's for a lot of bodies, all right? It's it's for people who want to go a little bit deeper with the Lord but not become mummified and ossified and all religious and all pharisaical and all bent out of shape. Nope. It's to get a lot of Jesus and a lot of the Word of God so that when you go out, not only is your heart full, but your mind is full and you're ready to actuate. You're ready to live out the faith that God has birthed in you and emblazoned in you. And you don't go out there and just wishy-washy kind of thing, but you you got substance, brothers. You got sisters. You got the Word of God within you, and you're able to give a defense for your faith because you just haven't read about the Word of God. The Word of God is in you, and that's that's exciting to me. I love that. I, I, I love the fact that we're going to make much of Jesus and make much of the Word. So it could mean the Word of God, even their testimony. In other words, their testimony is corollary with the Word. The word of their testimony is what got them killed. Like Rachel Scott with a, with a gun right on her face, 1999 in Columbine. Are you a follower of God? Do you love God? Yes, he blows her head off. All she had to say was, no, don't know him. don't Never heard of Jesus. And, and by the way, why, why didn't he, why did he ask that question? Why didn't he ask her if you're a follower of Muhammad? Why didn't he ask her if you're a follower of Buddha? Why didn't he ask her if she's a follower of Confucius? I'm telling you, there's something about the name of Jesus Christ. It is the name above every other name, even their testimony. That's a good translation, but it could mean this. They're persecuted and they are killed because of the capital W Word of God, because of their fidelity and faithfulness to the Scriptures and their testimony to the veracity and truthfulness of the Scriptures. Well, John sees it, and it's, it's an ugly and a beautiful sight simultaneously. Here the grace of God is on display. These are people most likely who have rejected Him, and yet they had heard the gospel, and then they had that horrifying awakening of, oh my, I've missed it, and God in His grace. Some, many people disagree with me at this point, but I, I, in, my, in my opinion... I believe this is an ugly time, but it's also a very beautiful time because there will still be people coming into the kingdom. So what would I do? What would you do? Let me give you a good word. Don't worry about it. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, if you're ever called upon to suffer for His name, don't worry about it because the Holy Spirit will give you the very words you're to speak. Isn't that comforting? I mean, God gives special grace for special occasions. pastor friend of mine, Dr. Al Gilbert, he, 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 he put it this way. He said, God gives dying grace for dying days. If you're here today and you are troubled and you're fearful and you're worried about the future, or you're worried about what's going to happen to you, and, and if you would be called upon to lay down your life, I, I'm telling you, the Bible says that we are not to worry about that. I had a friend of mine I was talking to, who used to be very faithful members here in, in our church, and uh, Rob Hatley moved up to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was talking to him the other day, and he said, can I ask you a question? We we used to talk about three hours when we were here. We'd go eat lunch. It'd take us three hours. Now we're just down to an hour and a half over the phone. And so uh, he, he, he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. He said, how are you and Ashley doing? I said, and? And he says, no, no, no. He said, how are you really doing? Because both your boys left you at the same time, and Y'all are empty nesters in a way that you haven't been. and no, Hannah's still home with us, which is amazing. Hannah, don't ever leave us. Thank you. Pray, Amen. I tell you why. You can get married and y'all both can just move in with us. That'd, that'd be fine. First, we gotta find a man. Amen. That's me. Really, that's another. How would you like to have me as a father-in-law? <laughs> fun. Amen. So he said, "No, really. How are you doing?" And you know, guys, I had to answer honestly, and I said, Rob, God's amazing. Because you think that would be such a horrible thing. I mean, my boys have left, but I said, well, sure, we miss them, but it really is a special grace of God to give you just what you need to get you through what you need to get through. Hey, listen, that's one of the benefits of knowing Jesus. Special grace for special occasions. My wife did tell me the other day, it was kind of quiet in our house, she looked over at me and she said these words, I'm glad I like you, and I said, Amen, I am too. Amen. <laughs> hey, uh, guys, for the sake of time, I'm not going to show uh, the video that I had planned to show, but it, it, it just talks about uh, this video of how in the midst of difficulty, and how in the midst of travesty, and how hard things are, I mean in the midst of martyrdom, God still works, God still saves, and God gives special grace. The video has to do with the Yazidi people. The Yazidi people in Iraq are are being... The the jihads want to exterminate them. They want to engage in genocide. If Anybody that disagrees with their brand of religion, they they want to obliterate them. And the Yazidis, who are not Christians... They're being extremely persecuted, and they looked around for their Arab moderate Muslim brothers to come to their aid, and there was no aid. There was no aid. There was no moderate Muslim to stand up and say, we stand with you and we are against them. They did not do it, and as a result, they are converting in mass to Jesus Christ. They are coming to faith in Christ going, Wow! I mean, there must be something to your God, because you're the one who's sending blankets, you're the ones that are sending water, you're the ones that are sending food. There must be something about your God. It's not a God of hate, but a God of love. We want that God. That's all in that video. It's pretty amazing. I just gave it to you. It's, it's amazing. Go look, go look at it. In the midst of martyrdom, in the midst of persecution, in the crucible of all this difficulty, God still wins. God still saves. God still moves in the midst of what looks like is all hope is gone. And you ought to be encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by that. I don't, it doesn't matter how bad it gets, God's still sovereign. Chairman of deacons, Doug, is that not a good word? God's still sovereign. He's on His throne come what? May. That's point one. we got to go to point two. It's a, it's a question, all right? Point two is question. I put it in the plural. I made a mistake. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. My notes are not. Okay, so that should be question, not questions. What is the question? Well, some people have a hard time with this question because they're saying, why are these martyrs crying out for God to, to deal with them? True, it's not the prayer of Jesus Or Stephen, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, do not hold this to their account. But I read something this week in a commentary in in, in my study, and it had this great quote. Listen to this quote. It's not so much an issue of private revenge as it is public justice. And I like that. It's not so much personal, private revenge. Lord, avenge our blood on the... No, it's God be honored. God, would you pour out justice on on the nations. Even in their question, there's a powerful assertion or confession. God, who is holy and true. Did you see that in verse 10? And they cried out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Again, I... I don't see it as vindictive. I don't see it as personal revenge, as an anger. I just see it as, God, would you you do something? Would you save the day? It's interesting how God's not bothered by their question. God just listens to them. And can I say something to you today? God's not bothered by your question. You, you have lots of questions. You, you don't understand. You got lots of whys. They had lots of whys. But I want to share something with you in just a minute that God takes your question personally, takes it seriously. He does not gloss over it. Hey, listen, God. That, that, that's one of the beautiful things about Christianity is there is dialogue. There is room for disagreement. There is, there is opportunities for, 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 for reasoning and, and listening. And, and even if you absolutely, unequivocally come out on the other side of where I am, there's still grace. There's still love, and, and there's still mercy, you see. I'll tell you what. The more I preach the Bible and the more I learn about Jesus the more in love I become with him. He is incomparable. He's matchless. He's king. He's Lord. He's sovereign. And he is grace personified. So how long, Lord, until you avenge our blood? And and then the, the answer, what I've called the exaltation, goes like this. Exaltation, number three. Notice what he does. First of all, God gives them something, a, 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 a robe, a white robe, and then he makes a statement to them. So the white robe, are y'all with me? How do souls put on robes? Did anybody ask that question a minute ago? It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to hermeneutically grapple with the text. How does John see souls under the altar and now God the Father's given them robes to put on the souls under the altar? How does a soul wear a suitcase put on a robe? Dr. David Jeremiah, he says in his message on this, he says, this bothered me at first. He said, and I just began to grapple with it because the resurrected body is not coming until later when Jesus comes in Revelation chapter 20. Many people believe at that time, those martyred souls there during the Great Tribulation, they will receive that resurrected body then. So what is going on now? Well, here's here's what he said, and I kind of like this, and I jotted it down in my notes, and I want you to have it. He says, the martyrs are not there in their resurrected bodies, but they are there as souls. Tribulation saints will not be resurrected until the end of the tribulation. Revelation 20, verse 5. Dr. John Wolford's opinion here is very helpful, Dr. Jeremiah says. The tribulation saints are accorded some type of temporary body in heaven for the short time between their death and the possession of their resurrected bodies. On this temporary body, they are able to wear their white robes. And I'm good with that. I don't have to understand everything. Somehow, these souls, temporary bodies, whatever they are, they're going to receive a white robe which signifies purity and faithfulness, fidelity to the Word of God and to their testimony. I love how God deals with these people because this is how He deals with us. How long, Lord? How long does my mom have to suffer from Alzheimer's till you come get her? Anybody else ask questions like that? God, would you just take her home? She's, she's just a vegetable. How long, Lord, are you going to let her stay like that? Some of you say, How, how long, Lord, does my loved one have to suffer from cancer? I mean, really. Some of you saying, God, how long are we going to be in such a place financially? I mean, God, we're, we're trying to do what you want us to do. We're tithing. And that's some of your answer. That's some of your cry. You're saying, how long, God, until, until you come, until you help out? How long, God, will it be till my children and my grandchildren turn back to you? God, when? How long, Lord? Lord, how long am I going to have to wait until my health gets better? Lord? How? Are you all with me? By the way okay that's really okay god is not intimidated and god is not lessened by your questions isn't it a wonderful thing that we ask those rhetorical questions of god and god just says my grace is sufficient for you i've got the answer you just be faithful You just do what I tell you to do and put your hands to the plow and and just be faithful and watch what I'll do. And I had a deacon chairman tell me one time, man, this is good theology. He said, there is a parade. And in this parade, we're standing on a corner. And we see parts of the parade as it passes by. It is a very myopic, provincial, limited view of the parade. But God sees the whole parade. God sees it from the beginning. God sees it in the middle. God sees it when it consummates. Our view is very myopic. It's very small. But God sees it all. I hope that encourages you. I know it's encouraging to me. So, like you, I I grapple, I wrestle with God on, on, on many issues. And there are many issues I don't have all the answers. But I know who does. And I'm good with that. So we move in, out of these four horsemen of the apocalypse, to this new revelation. This revelation of souls peeping out from under the altar, not in a... You know, not in some kind of disembodied state, but somehow they have this temporary body and they're clothed in these robes. They're asking God, how long? And God says, rest. Be patient, because everything is going to be okay. Whoo, man, I don't... Maybe you can email me, maybe you can text me later. And by the way, remember last couple weeks ago and I asked the students, when y'all go to college, you get into the universities and you get in a bind, just text Pastor Danny and I'll pray for you. Hey, they took me up on that. <laughs> Excuse me. One of them said, man, I'm about to go to my atheist class. We're having a debate. Would you pray for me? I said, not only will I pray for you. And I started sending her materials and sermons and books and, and, and videos and all. She's like, wow, thank, thanks a lot. I said, you're welcome. And the other one said, man, my heart's just broken. Some friends of mine went to school, McNeil High School. A brother and a sister, both killed instantly. Their parents, no more children. She said, "I'm just struggling with that. Would you, would you pray for me?" What an honor! What an honor to stop what I was doing. I think I was driving, so I couldn't respond to Kaylee immediately, because God convicted me about that. I'm just going to be honest. Driving down the road, and I'm texting. Oh wow, you know. And God says you don't need to be texting and driving. You nitwit. And I'm like, you're right. So I put the phone down, and I asked my wife to text for me. And she does. She'll she'll help me and text. Teenagers, y'all, right? Are y'all nitwits too? Amen. Okay, good. It's okay. Something about hurricanes and me. Hurricanes like me. When I was 15 years of age in 1979, I was in uh, Mobile, Alabama, and a massive hurricane, Frederick, came up the Gulf Coast. I was a sophomore in high school, September 11, September 12, and I thought that was the coolest thing. I'm about to miss two weeks of school. And I thought, wow, isn't this cool? Until I started having to take baths in the Big Creek Lake. And I thought, this is not cool. Until we had to grill everything in the freezer, everything that we just rummaging around for food because all the stores are closed. I'm like, this is not cool. This is no fun. That's September of 1979. September of 1996, I just graduated from, from graduate school in 95, got my doctorate degree, and I went off to North Carolina to be a professor at a school. And, and when I went there, I thought, man, this is great. And this, I got there in August, and in September, here comes Hurricane uh, Fran, I believe was her name. Fierce hurricane. And uh, 1996, I mean, there were, uh, 99, I mean, there were, there were trees blown over, and there was, uh, man, there was difficulty, and we were without power again, I mean, many of our trees on our campus was overturned, and so I was like, wow, man, what is it with me and hurricanes? And that's in 1999, in 03, we moved from North Carolina, I actually remember this, in 99, moved from North Carolina, and we moved to Virginia to be the pastor at Great, at Liberty Baptist Church, this is Great Hills, Amen. And so I'm up there, and here comes Isabel. Hurricane Isabel in 03. It's really interesting where we lived. We lived on a peninsula. Now, peninsula means there's three sides of water. It's not an island. An island is four sides of water. We were on a peninsula. And the meteorologist was like, people, people, if you're on the peninsula, either get out or get ready. And they tracked the storm for 10 full days. Well, I believed Man, I boarded up my house with boards and wood, and I went over to the Home Depot or Lowe's, whatever it was, stood in line forever and got me a generator, amen. And I still have that generator till this day. Five days without power. True story. One of our church members drove by my house. She said, Pastor, do you have any coffee? I said, yes, I do. I got a generator. I'm prepared. So I made her some coffee, walked it out to her on the street there and gave her her, I don't know what it is with hurricanes. Then we moved to Texas. And I think, well, in 05, we're away from, we're away from the hurricane. We moved to Dallas, Fort Worth. Somebody help me. What happened in 05? Katrina and Rita and now these refugees, these people just come flooding into the area where, where we live. There's a fascinating thing about hurricanes. You got plenty of warning. Thirty-one people died in Isabel. And I remember clearly the the guy came on the radio and he was castigating us. He was rebuking us. He says, you people, 31 people, you lost your life and all you had to do was take higher ground. Hurricane Katrina, 175 miles an hour winds, $108 billion of damage, 1,833 people lost their lives. And I believe all of them could have saved their life had they heeded the warning and went to higher ground. And listen to me carefully. There is a storm on the horizon, and it's unlike any hurricane you've seen. It is called the day of the wrath of God. We're going to preach about it next week. If I haven't scared you completely, come back next week where we're literally going to study the day of the wrath of God poured out on planet Earth. And listen, listen to me carefully. You don't have to experience it. All you gotta do is go to higher ground and Jesus is higher ground. If you'll go to Him and you trust in Him, let Him be your harbor, let Him be your safe haven, and when the winds blow, and I'm telling you, friends, like no other winds you've ever seen, they are going to blow up on planet Earth. And it will be the wrath of God poured out as the title deed. Jesus takes it back, and they bring, they bring it. But here's the grace of God. He offers redemption. He offers forgiveness. He offers a way out. And all you got to do is say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm very sorry. Lord, forgive me where I've doubted you and the veracity and the truthfulness of your word. I am very sorry. Would you forgive me? And I give you my life. If you would do that today, not only will you miss hell, which is a good thing, but you also gain heaven, which is a beautiful thing. So I'm asking you today, not trying to scare you, not trying to manipulate you, but if God were to come today, would you be ready? Or would you be passed by? Others of you are here today and you, you've heard this message, and I don't know what it's done to you, but I'll tell you what it's done to me. It's created an urgency in me. It makes me want to talk to more and more people, Fred. I don't want to miss anybody. Because what if the Bible is right? I mean, just say hypothetically, what if it is right? And all the people that know Jesus go to heaven and all the people that don't know Jesus go to hell. I mean, what, just assuming that the Bible is right then I'm having a hard time these days passing up anybody. And when I pass them up, I feel, I feel bad about it. I was like, God, I'm sorry. So I was at the store yesterday. Ashley and I, we, we ran up to Abilene. By the way, don't run to Abilene. It takes forever to get to Abilene. What's up with Abilene? Can't you just make a road to Abilene? Amen. Anyhow, we go to Abilene, and, and we finally get there and watch our boys play their first collegiate tennis matches. And, man, it was fun. I'm so proud of them. They did really, really good. Take after their mom. She's the tennis player. So we're coming back, and we stop at this convenience store, and my heart's just beating. I'm just looking at this guy, and I'm like, God, if I don't talk to him, who's going to talk to him? Are y'all with me? Y'all okay. Am I just weird? Am I the only one that thinks like this? I mean, God, if I don't invite him to you, who's going to invite him? This guy walks in. He walks in, and he's kind of strutting. And the guy behind the counter says, how's it going, man? He says, man, it's good. I'm chilling out. And I watched that guy. He just chilled on over, got him some cigarettes or whatever. And I was watching people. And they were coming and going. I'm like, Lord, I don't think anybody's going to tell him about you. Unless I talk to him. So I I take out. This is a true story. My wife is my witness. Ouch. Amen. It's wonderful getting old. There we go. My wife is my witness. I looked at that guy. I said, sir, can't... I'm going to give you something. This is called Steps to Peace with God, written by Billy Graham. He said, Are you Billy Graham? I said, No, I'm not. He said, No, I'm not. <laughs> Didn't he ask me that? I He did. He asked me if I was Billy Graham. I was like, No, but he's one of my heroes. I said, He wrote that, and it tells you how to know Jesus. I tell you, the older I get, the more or less concerned I am about people hearing about it. This guy standing behind, he has something in his hands. You know, he could just wait. And so this guy, you know, he, he takes this little booklet about Jesus and first thing he does, he reaches across the counter and he slaps me across the face. Do y'all believe that? No. Isn't that what Satan tells you? Oh, you talk about Jesus, somebody's going to hit you. Well, so what? Well, he didn't. He just took it and he said, well, thank you. And we went on our merry way back to Austin. I like Austin better than Abilene, by the way. <laughs> just on record, I, I like Austin. Listen, Austin has a lot of people and when the trumpet blows, they're going, to be, they're going to be left behind. And why don't you join me as we go out in this community. Let's just tell everybody we meet about the Lord, how awesome He is. And let's bring them to Christ. Hey, if they come to our church, great. If they don't, that's great. Mostly, let's bring them to Jesus. Can I get an amen on that, all right? Amen. <laughs> amen. <Whew. sighs> I think I'm better now. I think I'm going to run. I just feel like running. I think I'm going to just run this afternoon. I really do. I am just I just got so much energy. I, I just think I'll just run. The temperatures are cooler. And um, if you see me, some of y'all see me out on 620. Y'all saw me run one time. They said, who is that poor soul running 96 degrees? That was me. But it's not 96 today. I'm just going to be running. Anybody need to get saved today? Anybody, anybody want to respond to Christ? Anybody want to join this church? (laughs) kind of laugh when I say that. You're like, this church is different, brother. I don't know if I want to join this church or not. Well, listen, if if God is calling you, this is a great place to be. It's not perfect, but man, it's an exciting place. God is moving. There are things that are happening. I can't wait to share with you in, in just a few weeks some major, major things that God has put on my heart for great hills. But I want you to come. If God's so leading you, come. If you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, be like Billy Graham, 1964, Birmingham, Alabama, rededicated his life to Christ. So why don't you come? You you come to this altar. We'll take you by the hand. We'll give you to a counselor. They'll pray with you. They'll encourage you. You can be saved. You can join our church. You can be baptized. Brother Daniel, would you baptize anybody if they're ready? Yeah, whoop, he'll baptize them. Why don't you come? You ready? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, it is amazing. It is terrifying at times. And yet, Lord, in the midst of the terrifying nature of it, there's grace, grace, grace. There's hope, hope, hope. There's love, love, love. It just pulsates off of the text. Lord, God, forgive us. Forgive us of our sins, of our doubt, and our unbelief, and help us to trust you more. Lord, I really want to pray for that person, their family member suffering from Alzheimer's. Their family member has cancer. They have cancer. Their finances are depleted. They are suffering, and they are calling out to you, God, how long, Lord, why? Lord, would you encourage them? Would you let them know, God, that they were here today for precisely this very reason, so they could hear the Word of God preached, and by the Spirit of God from the man of God, they could hear these words, it will be okay. It's going to be okay. Because God is sovereign. Lord, would you move upon our invitation? God, would you sweep across us by the Spirit of God? may, May there be life. May there be decisions. May there be joy. May there be eternities and destinies changed as a result of what's about to happen. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as you stand. Counselors are here. Pastors are here. Brother Terry's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come? You may even want to come now. Before they even start singing. Somebody come to this altar and say, God, would you give me that passion for lost people? Lord, when I go to the convenience store, when I go to the gas station and there's somebody beside me getting gas, God, would would you give me the strength to walk across to them and say, hey, Let me invite you to Christ. Let me invite you to my church. Let me pray with you. Oh, would you come even now. Brother Terry, you lead us as we sing.